1: Welcome to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. This is your hour when Orlando Magic Senior Vice President Pat Williams sits down and speaks with authors who've written books on topics of interest and insight for listeners like you. And now, here's your host, Pat Williams.
2: Folks, welcome again to the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. You're listening to the new AM 990, and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. Uh, We gather like this every weekend and always have some fascinating guests. Now, we get on the air because of the engineering skills of Gabe. That's all you need to know. And, And Andrew Herdliska produces the show, produces it well, because he's produced Dr. Tom Schreiner. He's in Louisville, the James Buchanan Harrison Professor of New Testament Interpretation, and Associate Dean of the School of Theology at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. Tom, I'm impressed with that title. Uh, That's that's strong. How are you doing?
3: I'm doing well, Pat. How about you?
2: I'm fine, thanks. And uh, a very Merry Christmas to you.
3: Merry Christmas to you and yours.
2: Now, here's here's the story. The book uh, that you've got is The Joy of Hearing, a theology of the book of Revelation, New Testament theology. Uh, Tom, you're going to have to explain that to us and what all that means.
3: Yeah, well, I wanted to write a book on the book of Revelation, which is daunting and scary to people. I wanted to write a book that was accessible and say, even though there are some difficult things in the book of Revelation, we can understand the, the main teachings of the book and that they're, they're encouraging to us. And so uh, John exhorts us at the beginning of the book to, to hear, uh, to listen. And uh, when we truly listen to God's voice, it's, uh, it's joyful. It, it brings us, it, we're, we flourish. We have shalom and blessing when we listen.
2: Well, let's dive in. Uh, There's an introduction to the book. It's called "The Truth Apocalyptically Revealed." Uh, Tell us about that introduction.
3: Yes, I mean the Book of Revelation is can be difficult because it's written in a different genre, and that genre is apocalyptic. And I think the simplest way to put it is apocalyptic has a lot of symbols. So uh, I think they can be understood. I'm not saying we understand everything. But when we, when we get used to the fact that hey, these truths about uh, the final judgment, about the cross, about who God is, about our final reward, they're, uh, they're conveyed to us in a symbolic, visionary form. So oh, it's you know it's not a letter like Paul's letters. It's not a gospel. It's not even the Book of Acts. It's it's a different it's a different kind of literature, but it's one that the original readers would have understood because there were other apocalypses written as well.
2: Well, the first chapter is called the the deafness of those living on Earth. Uh, expand on chapter one for us, Tom.
3: Yeah. Well, I talk about in chapter one. I wanted to set the context by saying, why is it so important to hear? And it's important to hear because there are, we have great enemies. And for, for John, uh, the, our fundamental enemy is the dragon. That's, that's Satan. That's, that's the devil. Uh, he calls him a dragon. Uh, he's not literally a dragon, but it's a picture, what, of a monster. Uh, we, have, we have a great and powerful enemy. And then the dragon has his henchmen, the, the two beasts, um, the, the first beast that comes out of the sea, and the second comes out of the earth. And so you have a sort of a unholy trinity. I think that beast represents the Roman Empire, but a, a, we could say totalitarian power that's uh, opposed to the Lord. And, and then another enemy that's mentioned is Babylon, which I think stands for Rome, but the city of man over against the city of God. So I, I think we feel this as Christians today. There are, uh, there are great forces that oppose us, and they're, they're, they're clever, and they're powerful. And uh, we, need, we need great grace. We need perseverance. We need to uh, not compromise in the in the face of this remarkable evil that uh, we we face today as as believers. And I think I think Christians today, in the, in the particular context we're in, we, we sense this more than we did maybe 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 30 years ago. That, that there's a great battle going on. That there there's spiritual forces against that um we're to, we're to love all people uh we're to share the gospel with all people but we also need to recognize that uh that they're great forces and opposed to the message of the good news of jesus christ
2: i uh want you to move to the next topic tom the saints hear and heed what's that all yeah. about
3: yeah. So that's that's very connected to what I just talked about. So when we recognize the battle we're in, uh, we see this all through the book, but especially in the we have seven letters to seven churches in Asia Minor and uh, in the, two of the two of the churches are commended entirely, but five of the churches have there's need of improvement. And so so John, John says to every church, you, you need to conquer, you need to overcome, you need, you need to triumph. And, and how do you do that? By, by hearing the Word of God, by, by obeying the Word of God, by not, by not compromising with, with evil. And, and I think that was the temptation for the churches especially, to compromise with evil, to, to worship the beast, and the second beast, you know, even for economic reasons, it, it, it was tough, right, to, to live. So so John reminds them, look, uh, you're, you're called upon to be true disciples of Jesus, and uh, to be a disciple isn't always easy. Uh, some, some are even losing their lives, uh, and we don't know how many, but I, I always say, if five people, I live in Kentucky, as you mentioned, if five Christians in Kentucky were put to death last year for believing in Jesus, and and none were. But if five were, it would get our attention. (laughs) So I think John's getting the attention of the readers, and he's saying, hear this message. See this message. Uh, Again, there's a great battle, and uh, you, you need to conquer. You need to persevere in the faith. You need to hang on. And we all need encouragement. It's not always easy to hang on. And that's why John wrote, we need the encouragement of God's word and God's people to keep trusting and persevering until the end.
2: My guest is Dr. Tom Schreiner. He's in Louisville. Uh, He uh, has got a very significant uh, position at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. But we're talking about his book, The Joy of Hearing, A Theology of the Book of Revelation. Uh, Tom, we've arrived at topic three. It's called the declaration that God rules on His throne. Uh, tell us about this.
3: Yeah, that that's one you know one of the most exciting parts of the book. Chapter four, John has taken up in a vision into uh, God's very throne room in heaven. Of course, it's a vision; it's not a literal depiction, but it's a vision, and uh, God is seated on the throne and and the the picture is he he describes God with beautiful stones uh, emerald and so forth and so forth and uh, I think he describes God in such a way because God is uh, uh indescribably beautiful yeah. and awesome so he, he 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 selects what on earth is beautiful uh precious stones and and uses that to describe God actually depending on the book of Ezekiel. And there's a massive thunderstorm in this throne room, and you have uh, these uh, strange beings uh, worshiping the Lord. But what, what is the message of this chapter? The the angels proclaim, as we see in Isaiah 6 as well, that the one seated on the throne is holy, holy, holy. And, and we also see at the end of the chapter that he is worshiped as the creator. So I think John is saying to the churches, look. Uh, our God reigns in the midst of an evil world and a world where it seems everything's falling apart. Uh, God's still on the throne. Uh, Saint, Satan ultimately isn't the ruler of this world. God, God rules. God reigns. God's purposes will come to pass. So uh, put, put your trust in this sovereign God who rules over all things.
2: Let's go to uh, topic four, the good news of the lion and the lamb.
3: Yeah, so that—I really think this is the heart of the book. You know, sometimes people say to me, well, Revelation is full of such strange things, I can't understand it. But I always say to them, but you know, one of the fundamental themes in the book is the cross of Jesus Christ, and— we see in chapter 4, God is in the throne room, and then in chapter 5, he's sitting on the throne with the seven sealed book, and no one can open the book in heaven or on earth and or under the earth, and John is weeping. I think in the seven sealed book is the plan for all of history, including the redemption of human beings. So no one can open this book, but then the lion of the tribe of Judah comes, that's Jesus, in fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. He he, he, he is a lion. He is regal. He is powerful. He is majestic. He is glorious. He can open the book. That's what John is told. But then when John looks, this is quite extraordinary. He doesn't see a lion. He sees a lamb. He sees, not only does he see a lamb, but a slain lamb. And, and I think what John is telling us is the, the way the lion conquers, he is still a lion. But the way the lion conquers is through giving his own life. For, for being, He is sacrificed and, and slain for the redemption and the salvation of his people. And, and John goes on to talk about our redemption. So God's answer to the evil in the world isn't first judgment, but the offer of salvation through, through the slain lamb. And we, we see this Right, right from the very first chapter of the book, we see that Jesus Christ is the faithful witness. He's released us from our sins by his blood. In chapter 7, those who've come out of the great tribulation, they've washed their robes and, they made, and they've made them white by the blood of the Lamb. So our redemption is due to the cross of Christ. And in chapter 12, Satan is thrown out of heaven so he can no longer accuse us. There's no condemnation, as Paul says on the last day. Why is it that he can't accuse us? Because through the cross, Satan has been thrown out of heaven and can no longer accuse believers. So, so Revelation is all about the great victory that has been won for us uh, at the cross. And, and I just want to say here, it's at the very center of our Christian faith, isn't it? The cross of uh, Jesus Christ. Our redemption doesn't depend upon what we do. It doesn't depend ultimately on our good works, but it depends on the uh, blood shed for us by Jesus Christ, the the Lamb of God.
2: We're very fortunate to, to have Dr. Tom Schreiner with us from Louisville, Kentucky, a um, very prominent position at the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary. We're talking about his book, uh, The Joy of Hearing, uh, Theology of the Book of Revelation. Uh, topic number five, Tom, uh, this is a big one, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. Tell us more.
3: Yeah, so, you, you know, we've, we've seen the Father. He rules on his throne. We've seen Jesus Christ, who is also the one who has redeemed us by his blood. And and, uh, the revelation doesn't say as much about the Holy Spirit, but I think it's very interesting. The book begins, chapter 1, verse 4, with grace to you and peace from God the Father, and he's described as the one who was and the one who is and the one who's coming, the Almighty God, and then it, it ends with from Jesus Christ. But in the middle, we have grace and peace from the seven spirits of God. And I would say that's a reference to the Holy Spirit. Now, you know, that may, there's no, there's not seven Holy Spirits, but John often uses numbers symbolically. So the number seven represents the fullness of the spirit, the perfection of the spirit. The spirit is perfect. So grace and peace to uh, come to us, not only from the Father and the Son, but in a Trinitarian way, from the Father and the Son and, and the Holy Spirit. It's, it's hard to imagine anything that we need more in our lives than, than grace and peace. Uh, you know, we're talking about Christmas today. That's, that's what Christmas is finally about, right? Peace, peace on earth through the good news of Jesus Christ. Well, that's also communicated to us through the Holy Spirit.
2: My guest... My guest, and we're going to come right back to him, is Tom Schreiner. The book, The Joy of Hearing, I'm Pat Williams. It's the Power Hour, the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. More with Dr. Tom Schreiner. Stay with us.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. The Word. Now here is Pat.
2: Doctor Tom Schreiner is our guest, and Tom, uh, you were explaining uh, that whole issue of the Holy Spirit, your fifth chapter in the book, and I, I want you to just to pick it up uh, before the break and continue.
3: Yeah, yeah. So the Spirit also plays a role uh, in the book of uh, of the of Revelation. You know where where does the Spirit appear in all seven churches? The Spirit uh, speaks to the churches. Every one of the seven letters says that the hearers ought to hear the word that the Spirit is speaking to the churches. So today, that says to us as well: we need to we need to hear God's word. When we're listening to God's word, we're listening to the words of the Holy Spirit, and and we're told we're told several times in the book that the prophecy. John is given in this book comes from the spirit. John was in the spirit. I think that means he's in the Holy Spirit when he's seen these visions declaring to him uh, uh, God's purposes and God's uh, prophecy for what will happen in in history. And then another text that I think is very interesting that uh, John says in chapter 14, verse 13, that those who die in the Lord from now on are blessed, and the Spirit affirms that. I mean, death is hard, all right? Death is the last enemy. But if you die in the Lord, even though it's hard, it's difficult, it's painful in so many ways, but finally we're blessed. Uh, there's, there's, a, there's a great reward for those who die in the Lord. The Spirit assures us of that truth. Uh,
2: Tom, I want you to fill us in on uh, topic six. The promise of blessing in the new creation.
3: Yeah, so that this is how, this is how the book ends, and right as we've been talking about this, Pat, we've seen that there's a great conflict. Uh, we have we have uh, strong opponents. Uh, there's a temptation to compromise. Uh, Christians suffer in this life, but. John says that's not the end of the story. The final story for believers in Jesus Christ is there's a great reward coming. There's a, there's a new creation. And he talks about this all throughout the book, but especially in chapters 21 and 22. I take it people understand this various ways. I understand the language to be very symbolic, but it's symbolic of a true reality, So I understand our reward to be in a new creation, like this earth, the earth we're on now, but transformed and and made even better. And this earth is beautiful now, but I think it'll be even better. We'll have resurrection bodies. And then John's—how do you describe the indescribable? John tries to tell us in these chapters, by the inspiration of the Spirit, the future before us is unbelievably glorious and beautiful. Uh, every tear will be wiped from our eyes. God, God will be present with us. There'll be no more pain, no more sorrow. Um, we will live in a in a new universe with fellowship with God and with one another, and we will enjoy His presence forever. And why does John tell us this? To motivate us to hang on. It's uh, you. You need. You need to have hope. And John says that there's a great hope before us. Uh, hang on, that that hope is certain, it's coming. It may feel like it's not certain, but it is certain. We can we can put our trust in this great future that is before us.
2: Now, uh, let's get to topic seven, reigning with Christ for 1,000 years.
3: Yes, yes. Well, that's a very debated topic, the millennium. And honestly, Pat, I've gone back and forth on this over the years. There are there are various views out there. I, I, I would say, you know, it's complicated. There's post-millennialists, there's pre-millennialists, there's amillennialists, and so forth. I, I would say that, first of all, good Christians have disagreed throughout history about exactly what this is, Um. So that we ought to be charitable with one another, and we love one another. Whatever, whatever the millennium is, it ends, right? Then we go into the new creation. But clearly, it's part, it's part of that great promise that those who persevere, those who belong to God, they're, they're going to reign with Christ. Where there's, there's a great future before us. So we can we can all agree on that, no matter what our positions are. We can all agree that there, there's a great reward for believers in jesus there's a There's a blessing for us, and uh, we can we can hold our own positions and have good arguments about it, but we recognize now your view of the millennium isn't the, the very center of your faith.
2: Reiner is our guest. We've been talking about his book, *The Joy of Hearing*. Tom, uh, what do you want uh, readers and listeners today to take from your writing? What What's the message here? What do we do?
3: Yeah. Well, first of all, I want them to see that the Book of Revelation is is practical. Right? It's a, It's a call. It's a call to obedience. It's a call to continue to trust in and uh, uh, follow and obey Jesus Christ. So I don't think Revelation is mainly like, here's all the specific things that are going to happen in the future, although there, there is some of that, of course. But I think it's fundamentally a call to be disciples. It's to a call to, to suffer as God calls us to suffer now and, and look to the final reward and And I want to say that's that's a very practical message it isn't It isn't something that we can't understand. So the main message of revelation, we can understand it. and by God's grace, and we we can uh, uh, we can follow Jesus not perfectly, but in a significant way. And though, then I'm hoping Sunday school teachers, pastors, Others will teach the book of Revelation. Sometimes people are afraid of it. But I want to say, look, the main message is clear. It's about God reigning, Christ redeeming us, the Spirit speaking to us. There's a final reward. There's a judgment for those who don't believe. Um, hang in there. Keep, keep trusting. Keep believing.
2: You know, I'm curious, Tom, every every now and then, uh, well, we have a Hal Lindsey back in the 70s, the late great planet Earth. And then comes Tim LaHaye and Jerry Jenkins and the Left Behind series. Uh, what's been your reaction to those um, movements or those uh, and those books selling the
3: millions? Yeah, well, I think people have a great interest in uh, what's going to happen in the future. I think both Lindsay and LaHaye and Jenkins, they remind us Jesus is coming again, and that's a good reminder. We, we can get so enmeshed in this world that we can forget that Jesus is coming again. I think they, that their reading of the book is, is way more specific uh, than the book of Revelation uh, uh, is. In other words, I, I don't think their readings are warranted. I mean, we have to say Leahy and Jenkins, they're novels. But I don't don't share that interpretive framework, but I'm grateful that they remind us Jesus is coming again, but I would take the other things they say with a grain of salt.
2: Tom, uh, we've got about 30 seconds left. Uh, Tell me about the Southern Baptist Theological Seminary in Louisville. What should we know?
3: Well, we have both a seminary and a college. It's a great place to come study to prepare yourself to pastor God's people, to be missionaries, to proclaim the gospel to the end of the earth, to lead worship in churches, to be a Christian educator. At our college, we have, uh, we're training young people and, and as well in business and in other areas. So if you want a Christ-centered, Bible-focused education, where we're faithful to the scriptures, Uh, we'd love for you to come and visit us in in Louisville. But we we have classes both online and uh, in person.
2: My guest has been Dr. Tom Schreiner, the book, The Joy of Hearing, A Theology of the Book of Revelation. Uh, The show continues. We have a break here, and then we'll be right back. Uh, right here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. We gather like this every weekend here on the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. We will be right back.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Folks, our guest in that first half hour
4: <clears throat>
2: was Dr. Tom Schreiner, uh, talking about his book, The Joy of Hearing, A Theology of the Book of Revelation. Richard Paul Evans. I'll tell you what, when you think of Christmas, uh, that man's uh, name comes to mind. Uh, he's with us. He's in Salt Lake City, uh, not feeling super well on this Christmas day, but uh uh, we're grateful, uh, Richard. It's so nice to catch up with you. How you doing? I'm be glad to be with you. Thank you. Well, let's dive in. Uh, the book is called The Christmas Promise, and as I understand it, Richard, this is your 43rd novel. Uh, how do novelists uh, come a, and deal with the challenge of coming up with new ideas? What's the, what's what? How does it work?
4: You know, it's scary every single time. It's like you just like really, will something come again? And um, so I wish I could answer. Let's Say there's some formula or something, but there's not. Every time it's this leap of faith that's going to happen.
2: Well, I think God. Uh, you know, I've I've authored in numbers of books, and I think God plants ideas, and they see sometimes they come out of nowhere. And
4: yeah, absolutely, that's true.
2: And you wonder where where did that idea come from? But boy, it's
4: a good one. Let's see if we can find a publisher. <laughs> Well, you, you know, you, I want to. I love writing stories of redemption. It's why I watch the Christmas Carol every single year. I think it's so much fun to watch, and you know, I get emotional every single time. And so, um, I, I I like to start there. It's like, what do you want to write? And um, you go from there.
2: Richard, um, what's the central theme of this new book, The Christmas Promise? Can you share that with us?
4: Yeah, I wanted to write—I started with one of the greatest redemption stories ever from the Bible, the prodigal son. And I wanted to tell the story from the older brother's perspective. In this case, they're not brothers, they're sisters. So instead of two two, um, boys, I have two girls, they're they're two sisters who are identical twins. They look completely alike, but they couldn't be more different in personality. Mm. And so Rochelle, who tells the story— she just she's the one who gets good grades, um, has a, her career charted out. She's a nurse in a PICU unit. And um and she just sees her sister as being just wayward. She just she runs off and plays all the time. You know when they graduate graduated from high school, one went to college, the other went to Europe with a boyfriend. You know, that's the difference. And so and the whole time she just she, one Christmas her sister came home and did something that she could ne- never forgive her for. And then you have her father, who is trying to bring the two girls together. And um, he has passed away. And then before he before he dies, he has her promise that she will make up with her sister. But then her sister passes away. And she and this happens early enough in the book, so it's not I'm not like spoiling it. And so now she's stuck. It's like how can she? You know, she can't fulfill her father's, you know, promise to her father. And um, it just it just it just made for a good read, I
2: think. Um, my guest, <clears throat> Richard Paul Evans, uh, Richard, I want you to uh, respond to this. Uh, you, you seem well, l- let's put it this way: uh, The New York Times has called you the King of Christmas fiction." Have all your Have all your books been Christmas themed? And what is it yeah. about Christmas? Why why are you so interested in
4: Christmas? Um, well, my first book was a Christmas book. It was a little story I wrote for my family called the Christmas Box, that went completely viral. Mm. Uh, it sold eight million copies, mm. and it just it went global real fast. And I, I mean, if it, if social media had been around, it probably would have sold thirty million copies. It was one of the highest selling books in history. No kidding. And that's what started. Um, however, I, as soon as I wrote that, I had I, I never planned on writing a second book. And it was the New York Times who asked me in the interview what my next book was. And was like, wow, I haven't thought about that. And so um, I thought, well, let's, let's just type the Christmas box, you know, from a, a reader's perspective, let's give them more of what they liked. And so when I finished that, I wanted to distance myself from Christmas, I didn't want to be typecast. So, I started writing books that were in Christmas. And this went on for uh, for um, many years. And and I soon realized, why am I doing this? And yeah. so I, I wrote an, a Christmas story called Finding Noel. And my sales absolutely exploded, they more than doubled overnight. And so that's um, like, you know what? You dance with who brought you to the dance. And so um, about half my books are Christmas books, or at least Christmas themed. Mm hmm but i love I love Christmas so um and I always have i love this time of the year and why not write about something you love
2: Richard Paul Evans is our guest richard uh, there' are opals in this story uh what what's the significance of this gem Where does that fit what's that
4: mean well, well i'm a I'm an October baby, so um it's my birthstone, and I was always fascinated with opals by opals. And throughout history, mankind's been fascinated by opals because, they I mean, everything from they believe spirits are in them, I mean, the way they glow and move, and, um, and how everyone is unique. And when you, if you look from the outside from a distance, you could have two opals that look identical, but no two opals are identical. So the father gives his daughters opals to try to make this point, that they look identical. People can't tell them apart, but the fire inside is very different. And even though it's different, they're both very valuable. They're both very beautiful. And he's really trying to teach his older, not, I mean, not old, Rochelle, he's really trying to teach her that, that she needs to respect her sister. And even though she's not as smart as she is, and she's not as... Um, accomplished as she is, that there's parts of her personality that are, that are just as beautiful in their own way.
2: Richard, you know what always fascinates me about uh, folks like you who write novels? Uh, where do the names of these people come from? Like mm-hmm. Rochelle and Michelle, and, and I love Jerry Jenkins' uh, novels, you know, and he's got these wonderful names for people. How do, Where do the names, how do you cook it up? Where do they come from?
4: because I wanted it to be I thought, well, I'm you know how have twins, you know I have some friends who are twins, and it's Julie and Jolie or Lee and d and <laughs> so in this case, I thought, well, Rochelle and Michelle, and um the dad calls them Ricky and Mickey, and I just thought that would be that'd be fun um so but you know, I'm always searching for names, and the funny thing is I forget the names of people and and then people will reference them sometimes as if they're real key. I was like, "Well, I don't know who that is." But you wrote them after 43 novels. I forget.
2: Richard, tell me more in this book about uh, Rochelle and Michelle's father. Uh, how how do, how do you how did you want him to come off?
4: Well, I. Tim, I based him on a friend of mine who he was a pilot of the A10 A10 War, uh, Warthog and he's uh, i unassuming assuming man I, I, I mean seriously I thought he was a librarian it was years before I knew he was a fighter pilot and uh, you just wouldn't guess it and um, he, he just intrigued me and so I, I based it I based it on on him um, I wanted someone who had who was very level and um, had a lot of love. Um, he married to a woman from Taiwan. I, um, I used to live in Taiwan, so it's simply just close to me and I know the areas where they're from. And I thought, okay, if you've married a Taiwanese woman and because I wanted it, I wanted his daughters to be Asian. But after they got back to America, um, the, the wife leaves him, goes back to China and uh, Taiwan and he stays and he's a single father. He raises them the best he can and with as much love as he can. So it, it really set up the story for me. But, yeah, I based this one on the front.
2: Richard Paul Evans is our guest. He's in Salt Lake City. And we're so grateful that he's with us. He's uh, not uh, feeling all the best, but uh, he sounds good. And this book, folks, is uh, quite a read, The Christmas Promise. Um, speaking of books, my latest book is out. It's called Revolutionary Leadership. And uh, we go back to the Revolutionary War period, and we look at, uh, well, 25 remarkable leaders, some famous, some not so, some men, women, and how they led during the Revolutionary War period and and how their leadership allowed this country uh, to come into existence. So when you uh, go up and order a copy of The Christmas Promise, uh, grab a copy of Revolutionary Leadership as well. More with Richard Paul Evans right after this. This is the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. It's the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Richard Paul Evans is our guest. Richard, I've always
2: believed that uh, to be a terrific writer, you've got to be a really, really terrific reader. Um, who have been your writing heroes? Who who have you enjoyed reading over the years? Who inspired
4: you? You know, that's interesting. Um, because I have Tourette's syndrome and uh, just attention deficit, I and mean, who doesn't, but um, I was always a very poor reader, and it is, I thought, this really handy, has handicapped me. Um, it was my, I have a brother who speaks seven languages, and he's just kind of the intellectual of the family, and he got me into reading, and he started with something that was digestible, and that was O. Oh, Henry, who was just a master of the short story. And then he, he gave me John Steinbeck mm. and Hemingway. mm and, and that's really, I remember after reading East of Eden thinking, I want to write like John Steinbeck. And he's probably the, the voice that feels closest to, to my voice. And so um, those are that's who really inspired me, it's just some really great, great writers.
2: Can novelists write um, in other areas? Can they write nonfiction?
4: You know, I, I'm a very rare author in that way. Um, I've actually hit. Hit bestseller lists in four different genres, so there's only um a dozen of us who have had novel uh, you know best-selling novels and nonfiction books which i have um I've also written the young adult genre i wrote the michael bay series which is uh huge internationally it's for luxury like and a half million copies and um so i've I've written all over the place, but that's not that's not usual um most authors you know stick to you know where they're they feel most comfortable.
2: Richard, how do you do your writing?
4: Uh, in 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 mighty
2: bursts or a little bit every day? How do you go about it? How do you do it?
4: Oh, I like that mighty bursts. That's exactly how I do it. Um, again, because I have very, I have really kind of poor writing habits, and you know, when I say this having written forty three novels, which is still less than half than what you've written, Pat. But um, in writing those books. Um, They tend to kind of store up, store up, and then I just then I just write nonstop. And the good thing about that is that when you're writing um, 16, 18 hours a day, that you're you live in no other world, which is important. So when I'm writing this book, the Christmas Promise, I I felt like I was spending my days with Rochelle, and I knew her inside and out. I just knew what she was like. If she had walked through the door, it wouldn't have surprised me. She became very real to me.
2: That's fascinating, Richard. I'm also intrigued. You mentioned uh, living in uh, in Taiwan. I think. Uh, where did you grow up, and and where have you been, and how did you end up in Salt Lake City?
4: Well, I was I was born in Salt Lake City. I see. And at a young age, we moved to um, Los Angeles, and those were my the Halcyon days. Those so those were those were nice days. Things were going well for our family, and um, and then my dad um, got fired from his job in Beverly Hills and he couldn't find another job. And we ended up, um, really struggling. And we actually, with a large family of 10, we split the family and we moved back into an abandoned home. Um, it was just a rat filled infested home in Salt Lake. And that's how I ended back in Salt Lake city. It was my mom's um, mom's house. And after she died, they just left it and rats moved in. So, um, when kids read my Michael Vacer, it's like why are there rats in here? I was like, I think I'm exercising those demons from that. Um, but we've lived um, all over. I I, I served a church mission in uh, Taiwan and learned Mandarin Chinese. We've also lived in Florence, Italy. My wife is of Italian descent, and she wanted to go back to Italy, and and which turned out to be great because my my oldest daughter, Jenna, she is a, she became a writer as well. She her first book was called Love and Gelato they just finished filming the movie in um in Florence Italy and and she the books an international bestseller so um it turned out to be a good move to uh, raise our kids somewhere in Florence Italy
2: I'm always fascinated by Salt Lake City um I've been, been there on numbers of occasions uh the, the headquarters of the uh the Mormon church uh, but but explain to me uh, are there Baptist churches there are there Catholic oh, churches course. are there Presbyterian
4: churches in Salt yeah, Lake yeah. City? Oh of course there are yeah in fact I um, Carrie and I attend an evangelical Christian church um, I was raised Mormon, but I'm not Mormon I'm evangelical Christian so so it, um we have a great congregation it's it's I just love going to church.
2: Uh, now that's a fascinating little piece of your life, Richard. Every part of your life is fascinating, but um, you you grew up Mormon, and how how uh, it's very difficult to become a non-Mormon, isn't it? How, how did how did that work out?
4: It is very difficult. Um, a lot kind of has to happen, um, but I'm you know I'm grateful for my Mormon roots. I was a high priest in the Mormon Church. And, really, um, I don't take this lightly. My I'm. You know, I came from polygamous background, and um, you know, my my grandmother was down there with the uh, Mitt Romney family down into uh, Colonial Juarez, the Mexican colonies so that Brigham Young set up, and so it's it's very much part of my my life and culture, and I and I appreciate so much of it, and I love my Mormon friends and my family. My family's all still Mormon, um, and and a few of my children are, but um, everyone has their own. Their own spiritual journey, and I was just trying to find Jesus in the most powerful way I could, and it led me somewhere else. So, um, and I've never been happier.
2: Has the has the average Mormon found
4: Jesus? Uh, that's an interesting question. Um, it's Mormons um, believe in a different. A different kind of Jesus than, than evangelical Christians, and I remember I was—I'd be so offended when people would tell me as a Mormon I was—I wasn't Christian. I mean, that was a very offensive thing to hear, mm. and because I based my life on Jesus, I gave so much. Um, probably the biggest biggest change in my life was um, understanding grace and what grace means, and that changes the nature of who Jesus is. And how did and that? Understand the power of grace. And
2: Richard, how did that happen? What took place?
4: Well, what ha- what happened um is my wife my wife was going through a real struggle and there and um because I do so much research, I was doing so much research on the Mormon church and things that just didn't feel right to me. And um then my my wife left and she started going to another church and she was scared and she goes, Would you go with me? just be with me so I'm not alone? And I did. And I was still going to the Mormon church and um but i never stepped really stepped foot, um, a few times I had in, in other denominations. And I remember one day they were teaching about grace and I sat there, I just started to cry. Just mm. ball. I turned away so I don't want my wife to see me. But I had been working so hard to earn my salvation, I was exhausted. Mm. And I remember before my grandfather died, this is a man who served uh, I think four church mission missions spent all of his days in the temple. He was just and then Mary said to me, God is just so disappointed in all of this. And it never occurred to me that God was always reaching out to us. That he I mean to me it something salvation was something I had to earn rather than he had earned it for me that and to understand his love. So it was a very it was a it, it was completely mind altering. Um uh, this idea that God actually might delight in me. Mm. And that was um I thought, well, and it, it, I, I realized as a grandfather and as a father how much I love my children. And I thought, how come I love my children more than God loves his children? How can that be possible? And that was, that was the, the problem with any kind of legalistic religious system.
2: I'll tell so, you, Richard, I'll tell you what. Uh, there's, there's your next book, if, if you haven't written it. Um, you know, just this whole story. Uh, of, of, that you 're just telling me now uh that that 's a book that needs to needs to be written either in novel form or, or non novel but boy that 's a that 's a powerful story
4: yeah it's it's it 's tricky i i have so many it's it 's hard because i have so many mormons friends who i love and uh admire and who um i mean i 'm very very open and honest with them and um but it's, it 's when you're in a, a group that is that tight, you tend to feel attacked. And when someone writes, and so it's, it's a tough thing between wanting to share the truth that I found and not hurting my loved ones. And so it's, it's a hard place to be. And so when, you know, when I feel inspired by God to do it, I'll do it. Um, and just kind of, you know, I guess, weather the storm, whatever that means. But, um, I'm just, I'm grateful for where I am in my life. And so my, um, Arch, we have what we call stake presidents, um, which are um, the leaders over a large congregation. I'll never forget um, our state president. We went to lunch, and he goes, hey, "What are we going to do about Carrie, about uh, my wife?" And I go, "Well, what, what do you mean?" He goes, yeah. "I said you mean because she left the church." He goes, "Yeah." And I said, "Well, since she left the church, 18 years of depression have left her. Mm. She's not. She doesn't sleep until noon every day. She gets up at six and goes to Pilates." she's healed the relationship with my son. They haven't, they haven't meaningfully talked for 10 years and now they're ready to go to lunch together. She, she's become sweet and kind. She says, she's sorry to me, which she never did before. Um, I go, basically she's became, become the wife I always wanted. I said, so what do you think I should do? And this great man, he just looked at me and goes, sounds like she's exactly where she needs to be. And I said, yeah, I would change it for anything. So, um, but I've seen it go both ways. I've seen people—I um, had a, I had a very close friend leave the church and became very darkened. And that was my biggest fear. So it wasn't until till my wife went through that that I really saw this different side of her, that I saw someone that could become closer to Jesus, who could truly devote her life to uh, following God. And once I saw that, I realized what it meant to be born again, which was always something I had just kind of— uh, it just kind of made fun of, I think, in a sense, and because there's just too many Christians who just don't, who just don't put in the time. I mean, they just—it's like, well, you don't live like it's the most important thing in your life. You know, Mormons are—they're wonderfully committed, and um, I mean, they give more than 10 percent of their income to their church. They—they they, um, serve, um, you know, dozens of hours a week. It's like, you know, I sold everything I had to go on a church mission. It basically be a abuse for you for two years, you know um and and so I think it's, you know Christians us were just really just um watered down Mormons, and that's something that's really important you know with for people when they um you know look at Mormons or look at themselves and they really understand you know what am I willing to get, and I now understand that's not just completely the way it is and um no, but I love my new Christian family and our pastor, and we have wonderful talks and very honest talks, and I'm really grateful for this.
2: Richard Paul Evans is our guest. Uh, pick up a copy of his book, The Christmas Promise. Richard, um, you've got me fascinated with with this piece that we're talking about. What, what does the average uh, Mormon think of Joseph Smith? And and Brigham Young, what, what what are their when you mention those names, what's their reaction?
4: Well, it's it's probably not too far off from what people think of Muhammad. Um, and so you kind of they used to call Joseph Smith the uh, American Muhammad. And so, um, you know, I remember when I was going through this process, God was giving these very interesting experiences to kind of tell the difference, and. um I remember one time that I had just gone to church, and I thought, just out of curiosity, I, I took a clicker to church. It's like I'm going to click it every time they mention Jesus. Mm. Two hundred and seventy-six times at at this new church, South Mountain Community Church. Two hundred and what I say like sixty times, yeah. So then I went to the Mormon church. It it was only mentioned um, outside of the prayers maybe three times. Mm. And the songs were, and then the songs were praise to the men. It's not praise to Jesus. It praise to the men is a song about Joseph Smith. Yeah. And then we say, we thank God for a prophet. It's like none of the songs were about Jesus. And all of a sudden it's like, you know, God was like, I want you to pay attention. You know, who are we really worshiping here? And it became very clear the whole meeting that one of the talks that, that one of the young men gave, which I think is a wonderful thing, that, they have a lay ministry, and, but a young man got up and gave a talk about Brigham Young, and then when they got up and talked about Joseph Smith. And it's like there's been no mention of Jesus in this entire meeting, mm. outside of a casual side mention. And so um, the truth is, I, I knew more about Joseph Smith's life than I knew about Jesus's life, and that's that's a big, big change. And um, as a Mormon, I didn't realize how off that looked to people who were Mormons.
2: Ladies and gentlemen, we've had a wonderful visit with Richard Paul Evans. Go get his book, The Christmas Promise. We've got a wrap up right after this on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour, the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando.
1: More of the Pat Williams Hour in just a moment. AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. You're listening to the Pat Williams Power Hour, AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word. Now, here's Pat. Thanks so much for
2: joining us here on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. In that first segment, Tom Schreiner, Dr. Tom Schreiner from Louisville, talking about his book, The Joy of Hearing. And then we went from Louisville out to Salt Lake City. Richard Paul Evans, the best-selling novelist, The Christmas Promise, and And then we wandered into a whole other areas with him. Uh, Boy, it was fascinating uh, to to hear about his background and his life. Um, Speaking of books, I want you to get a copy of my latest book, Revolutionary Leadership. And we've got a brand new one that is just coming out. It's called Every Day is Game Day. It's a 365-page devotional with a sports theme for each day. I think you'll enjoy it. Go up to Amazon. Uh, you get a copy. I think I think you'll be pleased. We're back next weekend for more on the Pat Williams Saturday Power Hour. Stay tuned to the new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word in Orlando. And above all, enjoy your Christmas day today. A Merry Christmas uh, and God's best to all of you. See you next weekend.
1: Thank you for joining us for this week's edition of the Pat Williams Power Hour. Join us again next week at this time where faith comes by hearing. The new AM 990 and FM 101.5, The Word